Today's reading is Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather him, me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes to and places seeking rest, which does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you, he replied. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Thank you, Carter, for that reading. My name is Esther McCurry, and I'm one of the folks who gets to come up here every couple of months and share with you from God's Word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Studying and teaching God's Word brings me so much joy. Years ago, I went to seminary and got a master's in Bible exposition with just such a purpose in mind so that I could teach God's Word with clarity and understanding. I have to admit though, I don't think I had a passage like today's in mind when I was studying in seminary. In fact, when Daniel asked me if I wanted to preach again in our Luke series, he offered me a different passage. And then somehow, mysteriously, the weeks got switched around, scriptures got changed in order, and I got stuck with this passage. <laughs> Little bait and switch, if you ask me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure I know that the rest of the preaching staff did not pass off this passage because they didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I know it, I just have to feel it. <laughs> in all seriousness, as you heard read, we're looking at some tough verses in Luke today. We're gonna to see in our passage in Luke 11 that Jesus says some hard things. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. We are so glad you're here. You're joining us in the middle of a series on the book of Luke. We've been studying Luke since the start of this year and it's been a great time. And today we're gonna to be in Luke 11. In our verses, we're gonna see that Jesus is accused of driving out demons by the prince of demons. We're gonna hear Jesus in an argument with some religious leaders. 
We're going to hear Jesus tell a confusing and kind of alarming story about a strong man who's overarmed by another strong man. Then Jesus is going to tell an even more confusing and alarming story about a demon that leaves and then comes back and brings company with him. And then the passage ends with Jesus apparently insulting his mother. See what I mean about that 10-foot pole? (laughs) But we're going to work our way through it verse by verse. And as we do, we're going to see that in each of these sections, Jesus is offering his listeners an invitation, an invitation to join him. We can accept that invitation and be on his side, or we can reject that invitation and be opposed to it. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway. There's no neutrality with Jesus. What Luke wants us to see is that when it comes to Jesus, there are only two choices. You are with him or you are against him. This morning, as we work our way through the passages, we're going to see the invitation that Jesus is extending to us. Are you with me? So we're going to get started in Luke 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one underneath your seats. You can pull that out. As we begin, we're going to see that Jesus has just wrapped up a teaching time, and now he's going to transition into a healing time. We're going to see as we begin in Luke 11, verse 14, that Jesus has just driven out a demon. Read with me in 11, verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the man spoke, and the people marveled. Demon possession and exorcism, the act of driving out demons, was not unusual at this, at this time in first century Judaism. And Jesus wasn't the only one doing it. There are places in the New Testament and pagan Greek writers that tell us that People other than Jesus and the apostles were driving out demons. And yet scripture says the people marvel. And it's because of how Jesus has driven the demon out. No incantation, no magical objects, no big show, just the authoritative words of Jesus Christ and the immediate submission of the forces of evil. Jesus drives that demon out with his words alone. What Luke has been telling us all along is reaffirmed in this moment that when the kingdom of God breaks through in the person of Jesus, lives are changed. A demon is driven out. Jesus heals this man and the kingdom of God is driven forward and the people are amazed. But not all the people As we keep reading, we're going to see that Jesus gets into an argument. This begins a controversy with the religious leaders. This same account is recorded in Matthew's gospel, and Matthew tells us that these religious leaders that are questioning him are the Pharisees. The Pharisees was a small but powerful sect of religious Jewish leaders, and they didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't think he was the Son of God. And so they don't deny his power, but they question its source. They can clearly see that the demon has been driven out, but they question how he did it, by what power. Read with me in verse 15 and 16. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. There's a lot written about the name Beelzebul and why it's used here and where it came from, but it seems clear from the context that it is meant to refer to Satan. It uses a description, Prince of Demons, a title that we know with Satan. 
And Jesus himself seems to understand it, to interpret it that way, because when he responds to the criticism, he picks up and uses the name Satan. And so the Pharisees are saying, yeah, he drove the demon out, but he used Satan to do it. It was Satan's power that he cast that demon aside. They are trying to cast doubt and shame on Jesus by saying that it was through Satan's power that Jesus drove the demon out. And Jesus strikes back on their accusation by showing the ridiculousness of it. Why would Satan, inside of Jesus, use Jesus to cast out one of his own demons? Why would he lessen his forces by driving out one of his own demonic powers? It doesn't make any sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Jesus shows it's ridiculous. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 17 and 18. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Jesus responds to their accusations with sense and logic. It's nothing but foolishness to think that Satan would drive out his own demon. What does he gain by doing that? A house divided, a kingdom at cross purposes only falls. It does not stand. And then Jesus does something even more here. He points out to these Pharisees who are questioning him that if they are saying that demons are driven out by Satan, then they are making their own followers complicit. Let's look at verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if casting out demons makes you in league with Satan, then your sons, your followers, who also claim to cast out demons, by that same token, they are also in league with Satan. The religious leader's accusation makes no sense. It has no logic. If Jesus is using, out, is using Satan's power to drive out demons, then in the same way, the Pharisees' own followers are also in league with Satan. Against these two ironclad arguments, first, it makes no sense for Satan to drive out his own demonic forces. Why would he use Jesus to do that? And secondly, if driving out demons means that you're in league with Satan, then so are the Pharisees' own followers because they also cast out demons. Against these two arguments, the Pharisees have no response. Clearly, their accusation has no leg to stand on. But Jesus is just getting started. Having won his point, he is going to drive it home now. Look at verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It doesn't get much clearer than that, right? Since it's not by Satan's power, then it's by the power of God because who else has such power? And if it is by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come in your midst. Again, this is the message that we've seen all along in Luke, that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come and as he does, he ushers forth the kingdom of God. King, God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. Jesus casts out this demon through God's authority and thus brings God's kingdom to bear. Jesus goes one step further in proving his point now with a parable about two strong men. 
And it's important as we're reading this passage that we keep in mind who the two strong men represent. So let's read verses 21 and 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. It could be confusing at first glance to understand who these two strong men are, but I think it's important when we're reading it inside its total context that we see this is actually a continuation of what Jesus has just been saying. Jesus has just been talking about two power forces, the power of Satan and the power of God. And here Jesus is saying, didn't I just show you that I'm here by the power of God, not by the power of Satan? And so we see that the strong man, Satan, thinks that he's well guarded. He thinks he's got everything in order. He thinks he's got authority. He thinks he's got power. His goods are all intact. And yet Jesus, a stronger man, attacks and overtakes him and grabs his spoils. In this specific case, the spoils are the man that Satan has been keeping in silent oppression through demon possession. Jesus sets that man free. He casts the demon out of the mute man and shows I have won this battle and I am victorious in all the battles yet to come. Jesus gets the spoils. In this case, in our scripture today, and in the future to come. The kingdom of evil is strong, but the kingdom of God is stronger. And now we come to the question that we posed at the beginning of our time together. The question that Jesus asks, are you with me? Are you with me? Let's read our final verse in this first section, verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus uses two images here. The first is a battle image. You either fight on Jesus' side or you're fighting on the enemy's side. You are either with him or against him. You're either on his team or you're on the opposing team. And then he uses a second image. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering. It's an image of a flock. Jesus says, if you're not gathering sheep with me, it's not that you're just sitting on a rock doing nothing. No, it's that you're scattering. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter, Jesus says. Are you with me, Jesus asks. Scripture says, whoever is not with me is against me, in the words of Jesus. There is no middle road with Jesus. So what does it look like to be with Jesus? I think it can look like a lot of things, things that many of you are already doing. Spending time in God's word, which we'll talk about more later. Spending time in prayer, confessing our sins, being about the things that God's kingdom is about, taking care of the poor, the orphans, the widows. It might look like serving at the rescue mission. It might mean going on a missions trip. It might mean saying something at your child's school when you know that God's word and his truth is being ridiculed and sidelined. It might mean starting a club, a Christian club on your school campus. It might mean getting baptized. It might mean 
it does mean, giving generously to God's church and to other nonprofits that are doing his good work. It looks a lot of ways to be with Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then in your pursuit of him, he will make it clear. So many of you are already aware of where God is calling you into, and you do it with delight. And when he says, are you with me? You are ready with your resounding yes. Be encouraged. You are with Jesus. You are on his side. We're going to keep moving now into the next passage in our section today, where we will again face the issue of are we with Jesus? Here we see Jesus tell a story about an unclean spirit who leaves a person, then eventually returns and brings company with him. So Jesus begins this story right as the unclean spirit has gone out. Let's pick it up in verse 24, and we'll read the whole story and then work at figuring it out. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Okay, what is happening here? What are the waterless places? What does it mean that the demon returns and finds the house swept? Why does he bring seven more spirits with him? What is Jesus' point in telling this story? Ten-foot pole, am I right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to break it down. The spirit leaves, as we see in verse 24. The demon goes through waterless places. In Jesus' day, the desert, waterless places, were thought of to be haunts for evil spirits. And so Jesus is telling this story. He's painting a picture of a demon who goes out of a person, goes into the desert, the waterless places, to find rest. The demon, he says, doesn't find any rest. Maybe nothing looks as good in the desert as the place that he was just indwelling. And so he returns home. Jesus tells us that the demon thinks of this person that he's possessing as his house, as his home. And he gets back and he finds the house swept and put in order. In this same account in Matthew, Matthew adds that in addition to the house being swept and put in order, it is also empty. And here the meaning begins to come clean. This demon has gone out of a person, whether by an exorcist or on his own. Either way, this person has the chance to fill what is now empty with something new, something permanent, something eternal, namely a deep and true relationship with God but he doesn't do it. He doesn't choose God's invitation. He doesn't choose God's kingdom. And so when the spirit returns, it finds the house tidy. Sure, there's been a small amount of change. The man has done some sweeping. There's a surface level cleaning, but Jesus tells us it's temporary. It's shallow. It's a moral tidying, not a life that has been overhauled through the power and work of Jesus Christ. And so the person looks better on the surface, their life is more in order, but it's empty. So empty now that the spirit returns and brings more people, more demons with him. This is a picture of a person who has experienced a tremendous act of God and is not changed by it, is not moved by it, does not respond to it. He doesn't say yes 
to the call of Jesus in his life. And so verse 26 tells us that the demon returns, finding the house empty, goes and gets seven even more unclean spirits, and comes back to the man. The number seven also has biblical significance because it represents, it symbolizes fullness, completion. And so Jesus is using it here to show the totality with which this man is now possessed. Because he had the chance to respond to God's call in his life and he did not do it, he is worse off than he was before. He is in worse shape because now he has opposed Jesus. Jesus is asking his audience, are you with me? Are you with me? They've seen what Jesus can do. They've been watching his ministry. They've seen the kingdom of God break forth. They've witnessed his miracles. They've witnessed his healings. They've witnessed his power. And Jesus is saying, are you going to respond to that? Or are you going to hear it, do some surface level, level tidying, and then be worse off than you were before because now you have rejected the Messiah? Jesus says, be with me. Are you with me? Again, there's no middle ground with Jesus. We are empty or we are filled with our Savior. Jesus asks, are you with me? All right, we're going to move on to our final passage in our section for today. One last invitation from Jesus. One more time to hear him say, who's with me? The crowds have seen Jesus drive out a demon. They've heard him argue with the Pharisees and win. They've listened to his story about he, how he is the strong man. And they have seen him tell the parable about the unclean spirits and the person who was worse off than they were before because they rejected God's work in their life. And now, as Jesus is wrapping up, a woman calls out from the crowd and she says, how blessed is your mother, Jesus. Let's read it in verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. So this seems like a strange expression to us, but it's a common Jewish figure of speech to use the part of something for the whole. So the woman uses the part, the womb and the breastfeeding, to represent the whole, Jesus' mother. And her purpose in calling out is to give a compliment to Jesus by praising the mother. It's that she's saying, how lucky is your mother to have such a son as you? So the woman calls out from the crowd. Maybe she's trying to cut the tension with some of the hard things that Jesus has been saying. Maybe she's just so moved by the invitation he's been offering. Either way, she calls out from the crowd because she wants to give Jesus a compliment and praise his mother. And Jesus responds to her and to the whole crowd by pointing them all back to the kingdom of God. Let's look at what he says in verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It sounds like Jesus is contradicting the woman saying that his mother isn't blessed. But the Greek word here for rather doesn't disregard what's come before. Jesus' mother is blessed. He's not insulting her. But it seeks to emphasize what is about to be said, the greater emphasis on what is, is what's coming. Rather, Jesus says, are those who listen and hear God's word, those are the ones who are blessed. 
Jesus is clarifying for the crowd that it's not a personal connection with him, it's not a blood relationship, it's not a claim to him that matters. People who hear and do the word of God, that is what leads to blessing. That is what really is important. Keeping here just means doing. Some translations use the word obey. Jesus says those who hear God's word and obey it, who follow what it teaches, teaches, that is what matters. That is what leads to blessing. And so what about us? Are we keeping God's word? All of it? The entirety of it? Not just the parts that we like or we're comfortable with, but all of it. Are we hearing God's word and doing it? Blessed are those who hear God's word and keep it. Are you with me, Jesus says? This isn't an exciting or splashy invitation from Jesus. The keeping of God's word is a steady, patient commitment. It is a long road of faithfulness where we are consistently learning about God through his word and what he reveals there. Are you with me, Jesus is asking. Are you on my side? Do you hear my word and obey it? Do we know God's word and do we keep it? Not just when it's easy, all the time. When we're with our non-Christian coworkers and neighbors, when we're at home with our family or roommates, when we're at our kids' soccer game, when we're on our school campuses, all the time. There's no halfway. There's no half a Christian. There's no part-time with Jesus. Jesus says, are you with me? Are we hearing God's word and keeping it? Again, there are lots of ways this might look. Obviously, we can't keep God's word if we don't know it, so we start there. Are we in God's word consistently? Are we reading the Bible faithfully, wrestling with the difficult passages so that we can truly understand what he's saying? One way to do that is exactly what we're doing right now. Sunday mornings are so important. We gather so that we can hear God's word and we can interact with it in a meaningful way. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all already here. But if this is your one Sunday a month, consider joining us more often. Be at church as much as you can. Protect Sunday mornings as much as you can. Protect them from travel and sports and work so that you can be here, so that together we can form the habit of hearing and knowing and doing God's word. But it can't only happen here, right? There isn't enough time on a Sunday morning, 52 times a year if we're incredibly consistent, to be hearers and doers of God's word. It has to happen during the week. Are we consistently spending time in God's word? Jesus himself says, this is the way to blessing. Spend time in my word. Know what it says. Do it. This is the path to blessing, to know God's word and to do it. I've spent many years on and off reading the one-year Bible, and it's not the only way to read God's word, but it certainly does give you a path to be in it consistently and to see the whole breadth of God's story. If there's another Bible reading plan that works for you, great. You could join a Bible study. You could start one if there isn't one. You could commit to memorizing scripture. You could do devotions with your family at home or your roommates. Jesus says that blessed is the person who hears the word of God and keeps it. 
Are we making it a priority to be in God's word, to know his word, so that it can change us, so that it moves us, so that we are keepers and doers of the powerful and authoritative word of God? Are you with me, Jesus is asking. His invitation is before us. How will we respond? And once we are spending time in God's word, once we are becoming a hearer of God's word, it is a natural progression to be a doer of God's word. The more we know God's word, the more we see this loving father who is revealed in his word, and we want to follow him. Not because we're robots with no mind of our own or we're afraid of God, but because we love him and we want to please him. We see in his word as we spend time in it that he is good that he is for us, that he is relentless in his pursuit of us, and it is our delight to obey his word. It is our delight to be a keeper and a doer of what he says and what he teaches. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Are you with me, Jesus says. We're gonna transition now to a time of quiet reflection. The worship band is gonna come up. I'm gonna put some questions up on the screen. I'd like us to take a few minutes, just on our own, to think about these questions and to pray through them. If you want to pray, there's gonna be time a little later on to pray with someone from the prayer team. But for right now, we're gonna spend just a few minutes in quiet reflection. So here are the questions for us to consider. Have you responded to Jesus' invitation? Are you with him? Is there an area of your life that might need an overhaul? Is there a place you've just been tidying that Jesus wants to take over permanently? What are some ways you're already with Jesus that you could go into more deeply? How are you hearing and keeping God's word? Are there any habits that need to change or to be added? So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna begin our time of reflection. After a few minutes, the band will lead us into a song and then there'll be some time for prayer on the sides. So join with me now as we pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the chance to be together this morning. We thank you for your word. We want to be hearers and doers of your word. We want to be with you today and every day. Help us move towards you knowing that you are always there with open arms. Help us now in this time to hear your voice as you lead us deeper into relationship with you. In your son's name we pray, amen.